Uh, thanks very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jeff Dixon. I'm uh, Chairman of Tourism Australia. And my panel uh, members are Bruce Baird, who is Chairman of the Tourism and Transport Forum, uh, Sandra Chip Chase, who is the CEO of Destination New South Wales, which runs all the tourism and the major events in New South Wales, and Anne Sherry, who is CEO of Carnival Australia. Now, we're here, and you've heard that a couple of times today, to talk about the opportunities for tourism uh, as a result of the Asia Cup. There is a theme, the theme which we've put down for the session is how do we use the Asia Cup to promote Australia as a tourism destination? Obviously a question, what needs to happen and who will take responsibility? What we'd like to do is have the general discussion up here but also then to do a Q&A with the audience and hopefully we can uh, answer any questions. But what we'd like to do is get some practical ideas out of the session so that we can move forward over the next couple of years to make sure we do take full advantage of this. Uh, main thing, as I think someone mentioned this morning, we do want to encourage people to come to Australia for the Asia Cup. But as far as tourism goes, we really do want to leave a lasting legacy so that uh, people will get to know Australia and will want to come back over the future years. Now, 2015 is a couple of years off, but there could not be a better time for Australia to hold a major event that involves Asia. Over the last 10 years, our tourism um, numbers have gone from, say about 10 years ago, yes, 60% uh, towards what I would call traditional markets, that is the UK, the United States and Europe to around about 40% in the Asia-Pacific. As of today, it's 60% from the Asia-Pacific and 40% uh, from our traditional markets. And while we still want people to come from our traditional markets, like many other things in Australia, tourism is going to come from our near neighbours and they are growing at a really rapid, rapid rate. Uh, recently, China became Australia's la second largest tourism uh, uh, visitors from China. S took over from the United Kingdom and I don't think anybody would have thought that say 10 years ago. It won't be easy because also 10 years ago China opened up a bit and they had three countries. One was Australia that got is called approved destination status. In other words people could come from China to Australia. Right now there's about 135 countries have approved destination status. They all want to get, tra uh, go into that Chinese market. Similar in other parts of Asia as well, India is growing at a rapid rate, Indonesia is a real sleeper for Australia. So what I'm saying, it could not happen at a better time and we really do believe that the opportunities that the Asia Cup may present will be very beneficial to Australia, but very beneficial to helping tourism. Now, as someone said earlier, um, every dollar that comes from a, a, a tourist to Australia, there's about 90 odd cents more that is generated in other areas. This is a hugely important industry employs either directly or indirectly over a million Australians and has the opportunity to do a lot more. 
But look, that's enough for me. I'll start with the panel. And the first question we were going to get underway was, um, what has been the panellists, well, what are their view or their experiences in the past using major international sporting events at both a tourism, as a tourism draw card and as a tourism promotional tool? What really works best? So I'm just going to go straight to you, Bruce, and Bruce has obviously got some ideas on it, and this is a general thing. Um, well, thanks, Jeff, and great to be with you. Um, we've got a bit of uh, background noise, a bit of sabotage going on. Sounds um, like the remote mic need to be switched off. Ah, there you go. Bruce, hold on. I did not. Uh, being on here with two strong females is always a challenge here, keep in mind. But uh, in terms of being Minister of Sydney's Olympic bid, uh, obviously the focus on the Olympics as we led up to it, uh, winning the Games was all important, all consuming, all demanding. And I think the delivery uh, of the Games and Michael Knight and Bob Carr uh, with the delivery, which of course was rated superbly, um, was also the focus. And unfortunately we didn't look <laughs> quite a lot beyond that. Um, if we look at the actual numbers of what happened during the year of the Olympics, the numbers jumped by 14% of visitors uh, to Sydney, uh, so that uh, 2.6 million international visitors had jumped 14%. But what happened after that, 2001 there was a minus 3% figure, uh, 2002 minus 4%, 2003 minus 3%, so that uh, before resuming growth in 2004. So the problem is that um, the focus was all about putting on the games. And the understanding, because we hosted the world's largest sporting event, that everyone would be blown away about how well we did it and be knocking down the door to put on their events, their conferences, and certainly Sydney Convention and Visitors Bureau did leverage that in winning a whole lot of conferences for the city. But what wasn't planned is, is what else do we want to do? What are the major things we want to do? How do we want to leverage of this? And uh, you know, what do we need to do in terms of is there additional hotel rooms that need to be built? Uh, are there things that we've learnt out of it? We should have perhaps come together as a city, as we did. Uh, the whole of the tourism uh, body came together after the Atlanta Games and said, what have we learned from that in terms of going forward so we can make Sydney even better? And uh, so that that's part of it, but um, you know the experience wasn't all that different in terms of the other cities. Barcelona did continue uh, to increase. The only one of the cities that did increase after hosting the games, and uh, of course they're an international tourism city, but they built on that experience, that new infrastructure that was developed, both cultural and sporting, uh, for the future. Atlanta went down in terms of the number of visitors. Uh, Beijing was never in there for tourism reasons, but more in terms of the, the perception of the world towards them. Um, and of course, some of the other cities that hosted experienced the same. So we're not aligning that with if you take out Barcelona, but um, we hope that uh, in terms of the future, we will certainly leverage in a more effective way than we did in the past with the Sydney Olympics. Sandra. Okay, thanks, Jeff. 
Uh, well, very true, and I think uh, when you look at an event like the Olympics, there's the feel-good factor for all of the citizens, but it builds confidence, builds business confidence. You can shape the profile of your destination, you can attract new audiences, uh, and you can build new, new networks. And I suppose the, the best example for me out of that would be uh, the World Cup in Germany. Uh, Germany has had an image problem uh, on a range of levels for, for many years. So when they won the rights, uh, there was a very much a concerted campaign about positioning the new Germany. Uh, and it was about, they focused on visitor experience. That's, that was their call to action. So what they did, which I thought was very clever, uh, was uh, number one, they looked at uh, what were the existing impediments to a great visitor experience. Some of you will be aware that uh, trading hours have been restricted uh, quite well in the past uh, in Germany quite significantly. So uh, when, I, when I lived in Frankfurt, uh, the shops used to close at midday on a Saturday and no trading at all on Sunday. So even to get a, you know... It's a long term. Yeah, yeah, it was, darling. Uh, yeah. I was on the Gifted Intelligent Child program. Uh, so, uh, uh, but... Um, <laughs> but uh, what I think was really interesting about that, uh, they opened up, they changed their local government laws and they worked with their state government authorities to ensure that they had open-air beer gardens. Now, you think it'd be a no-brainer, Germany, but you could not, for love nor money in summer, get a drink outside a licensed venue. They turned that on its head, uh, and not dissimilar to what Brisbane did during the Commonwealth Games and uh, to change their licensing laws, they did the same thing in Germany. They also thought very specifically beyond sport. So in, uh, they want, for example, the people in Berlin decided that they really wanted to present themselves as the cultural capital of Germany. So they've had a whole lot of programs around fashion, uh, around um, uh, finance, uh, around uh, music, film, uh, art. And what they did very cleverly was start to build uh, relationship, use their existing relationships in the creative services area to bring incentive groups, bring buyer groups, bring uh, site inspection groups to their city to undertake something totally non-sports related, but oh, you know, oh by the way, we happen to have this world event here, Let, you know, pa let's package it up, come to a game. So they managed to marry their sporting uh, fixtures with uh, specific business segments in a very nice way. And of course, for many of the international um, uh, delegates uh, that, they, that came to conferences or workshops or forums, they wrote the trip off on their tax. So they were very uh, strategic, very clever about the way they did that. And I think what's great about this event for Sydney, we have organisations like Business Events Sydney that are already on the case. They are already looking at this and they are already working with us uh, on how to grow this event and how to generate extra visitor nights for Sydney uh, and to get people also out into regional New South Wales. So that's an example I think that's a, that's a really strong one. And I think that's hugely important for everybody to remember that um, we need to do that and we need to do it very, very well. In some of the past events and certainly coming from my background, I think everybody's got to try and make as much money as they can at a given time. And events like this can be very, very profitable. But there's been a lot of experiences whereby 
hotel uh, uh, prices, airline prices have gone up to such an extent in the early days that people just don't come and then you have that rush right at the end and say, well, what are we going to fill it with? And that's what I think there's got to be a little bit of restraint that we certainly, people have to be able to charge what they can make money on, but to overcharge early, we'll find out that we will be half empty, and I think it's hugely important we do that. Yeah, we did have the agreement with the Olympics with the Hotel Association mm -hmm. to limit it's really the prices, because there have been experience of significant price gouging in other cities. Mm. Yeah. Um, look, I agree with all of that. The, uh, two things I'd add. One is, are we just focused on the event, or are we focused on all of the event can do, not just in in the time of the event, but long term, which is sort of the question everyone's asking. And if we're focused on the bigger picture, then it needs to be a bigger conversation than, you know, how do we get people together in a room just to do a transaction around the event, or even in the lead up to the event. Because it's actually, the legacy needs to have a longer term view, or you'll get to the end of the event and it'll be done. And they are the sorts of examples that have been given. Uh, and someone raised a question earlier about, is this an inflection point or not? Which is the sort of thinking you need rather than are we going to have a great event, because I'm sure we'll run a great event, but does it change anything other than get, you know, get people feeling good about um, a one code of football or sport or the capacity of Asia and Australia to work better together? Uh, and if you look at examples, uh, even just to follow on a couple of the points Bruce made, uh, what did Barcelona do different to lots of the other Olympic cities? And this, you'll hear my self-interest roll through here, but the thing Barcelona did differently is they built a monster cruise terminal and they made themselves one of the hubs for cruising in, a, in, uh, in Europe. And that legacy for them brings them three million people every summer. And they're a group of people who couldn't get there by air, who could not get there any other way. So they transformed their entire tourism offer, offering off the back of the Olympics and they set out to do it deliberately. New Zealand from Rugby World Cup set out with a much longer term view than running a great event. They said they'd run a great event, but they actually have a much longer uh, view on that. They knew they couldn't build enough hotels, for example. So they chartered three ships to provide the hotel accommodation and to move people around. Because you can't double your air capacity just because you happen to have 100,000 more people in town. You can't, they couldn't double their air capacity. And the lead time for that, to put that in perspective, even though 2015 feels like a long way away, I'm actually about to publish 2015 itineraries. In February, all of our ships in the entire region will already be allocated to itineraries. And we're at the early stages, I guess, of talking about uh, an event of this size in our region. And so I guess the, the caution there is if we are thinking bigger and if we are thinking longer term, and we're only focused on, on getting events or games this year, next year, how are we going to work that? Then we'll get a year out and a whole lot of options will be completely closed to us because we won't have thought about them early enough. So I, my message on this is you've also got to start planning with the big end game in mind and start planning early. Otherwise you, you find your, uh, your options will be pretty limited. So well, I think it's, it's also that, that looking at, at air 
air routes to Australia and uh, do we have enough capacity? Uh, is there capacity problems at Sydney Airport, which has been much debated uh, as in recent times from people we know. Uh, but, uh, you know, making sure that the hotel rooms, where we placed them in, uh, I, I've just been chairman of the Perth Convention Centre Oversight Committee and you've got a problem in that city that the hotel occupancy is so high in the city and the rates are so high that it's very difficult to attract new conventions to the city. So what, what are we doing and, and, and uh, will James get the go ahead in terms of Barangaroo, which probably won't be built in time for that. But I don't think so. So the lead, lead time's actually really long, both for hotel capacity, substitute hotel capacity, air capacity, uh, and as we know, many of our cities are already full most of the time. Uh, we've got great domestic tourism, which has been, you know, sought after, but in fact that means if you've got, again, if you've got 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people flying in, your capacity to absorb that is relatively limited, other than by pricing everybody, everyone else out of the market. So there's a, there's a balance for that which does have a lead time. And I, I, I heard all the conversations earlier, which I thought were really valuable, but I think unless you're planning that now, you won't be ready for it by 2015. There, there is a displacement factor in terms of during the Olympics that business visitors just didn't come. Uh, nor the regular international visitors just didn't come. Uh, so whether that in terms of uh, the Asian Cup proves to be the case is another matter, but it does provide more hotel rooms for, for those who are down for the sport. Yeah, I think we've got to try and attract the people prior to the event mm -hmm. and particularly after the event. I, one of the troubles that has happened in the past is too much hype just on the event. Now I think that's very, very important for people coming uh, and to, who are football followers, but there's got to be a much longer term legacy and in tourism that involves ensuring that when people come and when certainly with TV going to 2.5 or potentially 2.5 billion people that we work and I certainly know Tourism Australia will be and I'm quite sure everybody else involved here will be to work say with the sponsors to make sure that you know, really lovely imagery about Australia is used when you're, when you're promoting it and during it that when people are here and we've found in our research that one of the most attractive things about Australia is its people. So we've got to ensure if we can that uh, our visitors are made very, very welcome. That has always been the case. You have the bad incidents, of course. So all those things, I think, are more enduring. And everything, I think, uh, well, I know that the tourism people are interested in is the longer term. I mean, the, the event will be the cricket will be on at the same time, the World Cup cricket. It will be very important for the football, but the longer term thing for tourism is going to have to be a 10 year focus. But I, th I think the, also the example of Lingnar in terms of the Australian Open and what that meant in terms of creating a real interest in China in that event and also following her, um, the spin-off was seen as being very significant and so that we, depending on where China ends up in this uh, yeah. competition, uh, it, it, there's a tremendous potential to have the follow-up and, and good visuals of the city as was provided during the Olympics, mm. showing it in all its glory as they did during the London Olympics, some fantastic visuals. Which was there. great. I mean, and we all should be supporters of Australia and supporters of China. 
to make sure that they get in because I think that would be absolutely vital and it would be really nice if we could also get India up. <laughs> they are hugely important. But look, we'll go on to the next question which is closely allied at any rate. What kind of tourism promotion campaign should be built around the cup? And you know what has been done before. Anne, can I flick to you first? Um, yeah. Well, what sort of tourism promotion campaign? Well, some of it's been talked about. I guess who are we? You know, why would you come here? And one of the things that all the tourism research tells us is that people are interested in what is an authentic Australian experience, and particularly our uh, tourists who come from various parts of Asia are interested more in cities, in food, in authentic activity, less beaches, less of beaches, less of sun and surf because it's not what they're interested in. So how do we make sure that... Shopping. Uh, and shopping, yeah. We're all interested in shopping, Chris. Uh, but what happens in the lead-in uh, actually plays to that. Um, I, think, uh, I think that's one aspect. I think the other aspect, and I'll, I want to come back to something Moya said earlier, is that do not underestimate the power of women who buy these trips and who come to these sporting events, either with their kids or with their families. And most of our promotion and imagery of sport in Australia is very, very male. In fact, some of it's only male. And the imagery you want to project to the world is one of more inclusion and more participation. Because it's one of the reasons, if you talk to lots of families about why their kids are playing soccer, doing it because their mothers are frightened of them getting injured in other forms of sport. So a lot of those decision makings happen in households in ways that we sort of ignore when you get to the elite level. So I think you should not ignore in the lead up to the game what's happening in the dynamic of households and communities around which sport you follow in a very crowded sporting world. I just have to cut my tongue out because I'm on the board of the ARU. But anyway, the yeah. really? How many females you got playing for them? <laughs> we have a whole sevens team. Um, but we're not world champs yet, and I think that's the. There's a power of that that we're not quite leveraging, uh, and so that's the second thing I'd say. And then the third thing in terms of what's the imagery? The imagery needs to be of a. Of a you know, one of the great powers of Australia, of course, is that we do love sport in ways that people in other parts of the world do. And we're fanatic and passionate about it. And there's something about creating a set of, a sort of sense of Australia through that, um, which, which we've never really done in our tourism promotion. <coughs> it's largely been about place. So it's all place images, which has been incredibly powerful. But the question is, how do we give ourselves personality? Because I think if you look at new tourism, New tourism is more online, it's more experiential, it's more about people. And that's an opportunity to take this as, a, as an event and turn it into something bigger that's got more, more soul than just a set of images. Uh, can I, can I just follow up there, the point about the sporting image of Australia in terms of what worked best, I think, in terms of selling Sydney for the Olympics is obviously the city and all it provided. But the people who we, and bear in mind we only won by two against Beijing, <coughs> is the people that we got on side were those who were the most interested in sport, in my view, and uh, who loved what we did in sport, who were enthusiastic about the sporting events in Australia, and most of them saw some of them. So the capitalising on the sports-loving sport event aspect, I think, is, is very uh, relevant. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be uh, targeted 
because I agree with you, uh, the uh, uh, consumer images, we, you know, we've got that. It's also, we've got building demand, uh, ensuring the supply side, we get that right. We'll have a lot of people here that are non-English speaking. So we have to have our you know, smartphone apps, we have to have, uh, for example, a Destination New South Wales, we're just about to launch uh, a big guide to uh, vegetarian restaurants, which will be incredibly important when you know Air India start direct services, uh, halal cooking, places of worship. Uh, we've got to be really ensuring that that visitor experience is outstanding. Uh, there's a lot of work being done on um, uh, the um, uh, sort of geo mapping of where various communities are based around Australia for this event to ensure that is that personal invitation of local communities inviting you know their former countries to come and visit uh, that uh, we are blessed being you know the uh, the most multicultural city in Australia with having so many different uh, ethnic communities based here that uh, person to person visiting friends and relatives as well as the business to business. Uh, is going to be incredibly important and I think by uh, identifying that within the, the, the countries, the teams, the associations, the sponsors, the airlines, uh, the travel trade partners, that's where we're going to be able to build. So uh, over the next couple of years we've got a, a great opportunity through existing airline services, new airline services, our travel trade partners. Uh, we've partnered very successfully with Tourism Australia uh, in a lot of emerging markets you know, development mm. in Asia and I applaud you on your work uh, there because you're creating a great platform for the rest of us to be able to plug into. I think everybody's really focused on this. We know it's not a World Cup, it's not an Olympics, but if we get it right we can really leverage uh, the countries that are participating. I think well, it's also, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say there, there is absolutely a lot of work being done with Tourism Australia and the various bodies already. and. Uh, particularly packaging, which is very important to get it out early in the market. And we're using the same platform or the same ideas we have already virtually concluded for next year's uh, Rugby Lines Tour. Uh, got packaging out in the market early, sold rights to those packages at £200 each, and we had 30,000 people register. So you got the 30,000 with the £200 straight away. Most of them are taking it up. They'll be, and the big thing was not just to go to the rugby matches because they go for a while, but to be able to go to tourism destinations throughout Australia in the off times and to really get them into there and out of the bars and that's going to be proved hard. We know that because uh, it's quite infamous or famous whichever way you look at it with the rugby tours, but there is a lot of work being done. Also working with uh, uh, the AFC to, uh, in the countries we know are coming to get promotions out there, events, uh, uh, packages out there. So all that work is really underway to get it done quickly. Yeah. I, I think it's also business events, if they can be coincided yeah, at the yeah. same time, social media, inviting journalists out to, uh, to Australia to look at what we're offering, uh, media facilities so that when people are here and they've got the opportunity to brief them. But the other aspect, I think, which is so uh, unique about, well not unique, but uh, is a strong feature of Australia is the multiculturalism. And again, going back to uh, uh, the issue of the bid, 
one of the things that knocked out uh, our visitors is that every Olympic member who came visit the city, we would, could turn up a group of children from that country, uh, from somewhere in Sydney, who would come and sing the national anthem of that country and also the Australian national anthem and present them what they'd prepared in class about them. Well, you know, that made them think, we've got all these people here who, who relate to us. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I actually was uh, attaché the Indian team uh, during the games and all of these events that were held by the Indian community and getting out the, the, the sports, uh, the Olympic sports stars from India, mixing with them, brought people together and looking at how we can leverage uh, Australia's multiculturalism, I think is an important aspect. Just to, just to add to that, when uh, the cricketers are here, um, Cricket Australia always taps into the local community. So the, you know, when the Sri Lankan team is here, there's a hundred events for the Sri Lankan community. All the cricketers from that community go to the community here and the Australian cricketers do as well. So there's, a, there's quite a dynamic that that creates that pulls all of those people out to as a welcoming party. And City of Sydney has recently been working with us to put uh, volunteers to greet people, which we, I mean, it sounds, it's one of those things we did for the Olympics and then we stopped. That, uh, but for anyone coming to Australia from somewhere else in the world, turning up anywhere, even if you turn up on a ship in Circular Quay, it's like, what do you do now? And how long does it take you to find your way around the city and so on? And finding, in fact, some of the people that the City of Sydney's put back on to work with us actually were volunteers during the, the Olympics. So there is a huge volunteer force available, and you would have even, you'd tap into a whole other group who are players, parents of kids, you know, there's a whole, you know, someone was asking what do the individual teams do? There's probably a huge amount of opportunity to engage the tiers of your sport, uh, whether it's kids who play sport to greet a, you know, from a particular ethnic background to greet a team or families who are somehow involved or kids who are involved. You've probably got a volunteer, potential volunteer force already that you haven't thought about that you could bring into the whole event and, and have them as part of your meet and greet or talk to people or events leading into uh, the games leading in as well. Just on that, uh, the, um, uh, I know some, it was an earlier session, somebody talked about the ambassadors of the game, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's, you know, our Matildas or key players, uh, you know, in Asia. One of the reasons that uh, we sponsored Sydney FC, uh, for the, make sure that sydney.com logo is on uh, the back of all the shirts, uh, is uh, obviously Del Piero because of his immense following, but also the fact that those games uh, are televised, that we can move in. Uh, I, I think FFA have been very clever uh, about um, uh, how, and Sydney FC, are about how they want to leverage that. For example, Del Piero has uh, two million Facebook fans. He has 391,000 Twitter followers. Uh, he has his own YouTube TV channel. Uh, all of the Sydney FC games are televised live in Italy. Uh, they, um, even on his YouTube channel, uh, they're doing interviews. He's talking about Sydney, he's talking about where he and his family have been in New South Wales. Uh, and we got in on the ground floor for that because, you know, why? Because we're soccer mad or, you know, Del Piero's cute, possibly. But, um, we're, um, but the, the real uh, focus for us is this event. That's why uh, we are partnering with uh, FFA on a number of levels, but it's also why 
We're trying to position Sydney uh, as a real football destination uh, and reach out to the partners in Asia and support the uh, New South Wales teams in particular, uh, well, the Mariners uh, and Sydney FC as they move into Asia and uh, to grow those relationships. Because if we get that right now, over the next few years, by the time 2015 comes around, those partnerships are pretty rock solid by then. Uh, and it gives us a chance with Tourism Australia and all of our airline partners uh, to leverage that opportunity. And that's been, you know, that's been a deliberate strategy for us, is that engagement with Asia and a, we have an Asian sports strategy and uh, it's very much linked to that. And you're already seeing results from it, good results? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, uh, I mean, just look at the media frenzy at the moment over who wants David Beckham. Uh, we're probably just in our own office, but, uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's more about. Um, uh, but it's more about what can be the glamour. You get a big player, you get some glamour, you get international media, you get that focus, and uh, uh, again, it suddenly lifts our profile in another sporting arena. And I think for for Australians generally, it wasn't until uh, you know, John Allen kicked the goal and you know, threw his shirt over his head and Australia just went off and uh, we, we got into that, uh, you know, that whole World Cup scenario. Uh, that's been a huge shot in the arm for the sport uh, in this country, but also it is a world sport and we've got yeah, a great perfect. opportunity here. Bruce? Yeah, look, I mean, I just think uh, we have got a great opportunity, but there's, there's a whole lot of things that we've got to try and get right. I mean, uh, such as the visa processing at the moment which is archaic and uh, you know the the ease in which you can get visas for other countries from from Asia particularly China the length of time the fact that you've got to send your passport off to the embassy and so on is really we should be moving you know to electronic visa only from Asia so that we do streamline it and there's no reason that people find as to why they can't come to the country and and also that we need to have um, language-ready products, <coughs> so that when the people arrive at the airport, it's not just simply English only, and the hotels and details about restaurants and there, um, and the types of foods that are available in the hotels and in the restaurants, and we do promote, as you might remember, um, uh, well, uh, that we our, our icon restaurants do promote some of our best wines. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think that, and the final one, which uh, Anne would undoubtedly speak about, is, is we've got to have the facilities for, if we're going to bring in cruise ships, that we, we don't park them in the middle of the harbour. We don't have naval wives deciding that they don't like cruise ships coming in, uh, because what will it do to them? I mean, we've got the great facility. Um, and uh, we can have, what is it, 14 days a year uh, at the moment, that wonderful facility at Garden Island, uh, which the Navy is very reluctantly giving it to us, and cruising is taking off, I'm doing Anne's job for over 20% a year growth, um, and uh, we're trying to restrict it. So these kind of factors, whether it be for the federal government, the, the uh, visa <coughs> and infrastructure, we need to address. And all of that takes time. Uh, it's sort of my point about time. You've got to start yeah. thinking about that now. So the difficulty of visas, you should not underestimate. We think we're going to get a big group of people from China and all of the people who come here have got to post their passport off to someone with all of their financial records, which is basically what you've got to do at the moment. Most people just go, no way. 
So there's quite a, there's a, so unless you've already got a reason to have a visa, if you're just coming for a single event, it's very hard to get. Uh, and in many parts of Asia, there's not good electronic processing of visas. So while there's great things Australian embassies do at business events and other things, we've got very archaic processes around um, entry to the country. And uh, that, that could be the single biggest yeah. barrier to really having the numbers and volumes of people that we want to come. So it's, that's a, it's a campaign that's already being run by the tourism industry, but potentially it's a campaign you guys need to get on board with. Otherwise, some of the audience you think you're going to get won't be able to get here. And can I throw in labour supply too? Mm -hmm. There is a, <coughs> the restaurants and the hotels are a real problem with unskilled labour supply. We've got working holiday uh, makers who, who come here, the under, uh, 35s and uh, we're, we're trying to extend it on if you you can get an extra year if you go fruit picking but if you want to work in the hospitality area you can't and and if you go to any restaurant in Sydney you will find a good percentage of them try to work out ways to increase the labor supply so uh, and and obviously looking can I say it uh, at some of our IR implications of holiday loadings and so on so people not closing down there uh, their uh, restaurants because it's just not economic for them to pay double time, triple times, etc. Um, yeah, I don't want to be the <laughs> spokesman for the government here, but uh, <laughs> well, that's that, nice. um, Bruce and Anne have thrown in most of the issues into a bag here and said, well, uh, you know, let, get everything off their chest and write <laughs> But, but uh, on behalf of the uh, neighbour wives of uh, <laughs> You know, of Sydney Harbour and uh, uh, the rather hard-working uh, immigration people and that. Uh, I do think it's a little bit uh, overstated. A matter of fact, uh, I've had reason to have a really good look at our visa situation and I think it is one of the best in the world. And I think everybody should re uh, realise that there are issues that attached to visas. Uh, which are much wider than a, um, you know, a football match or a football carnival. And uh, while, yes, we should be doing everything to encourage people, Chinese visitors are coming at a rate of about a 25% increase at the moment. Uh, the visa issuance is so, so much better than almost all countries, particularly including the United States. So. Well, obviously, if we can make it better, we should, but uh, I really would say they're, they're, they're doing not a bad job. <coughs> uh, Actually, to be fair, Bruce, as well, not to the Navy wives, but to the, because um, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what you were going to say about that, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, Car Bob Carr, actually, at the last TTF summit in Canberra, also committed to looking at electronic processing and how it was fast-tracked yeah. and how the settings were right in some sort of fast-track system. So yeah. the government is thinking about how they do it differently. Because it, it doesn't nice. make sense that New Zealand does it sim more simply than we do. Yeah, but actually, the mechanism. comparison, if you want to go to Singapore, you don't have to go through the nonsense that, that we are at the moment if you want a visa. And, and I just think the, the rejection rate from some of our posts is far too high. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, having looked at it both in terms of international students, when I did the report for the federal government, and also my involvement in tourism, the, the, some of the rejection rates from some of the posts, to my mind, is excessive. 
even though you're doing a very good job representing the government. Um, can I also just make the point when we're talking about opportunities, and I know many of you in the room are looking at, well, how do we harness this opportunity? I think now's the time to start to work with your international colleagues to uh, invite them down, host meetings, take them on a tour of your plant, your factory, your office, uh, your investments, uh, your you know uh, potential development sites, whatever it is, because if you start to plan that out, uh, and then we can look at um, uh, in partnership where are the ticket allocations. So uh, if you are bringing a business of, for one better term, what we would call in the industry a business event. If you're starting to map that out yourselves about inviting people down, giving them a, yet another reason to come to Sydney, to come to Australia, this is the way that we're really going to leverage it. And it'll be, I mean, we have an organisation, Business Event Sydney, that is set up specifically for this uh, and that can help you uh, with venues, with advice, uh, with information. Uh, and then I think if, you've, if you're planning that pre, during, post, uh, it really helps us to leverage that opportunity and even over bring some of them now so that they can see that in the next couple of years they come now, they see it, gee we really should come back. You know, that's the way and I think people who are really clever about leveraging the Olympics uh, or leveraging uh, uh, British and Irish lines last time, that's exactly what they did in the lead up to those events. So I think uh, you know, now's the time to get your international partners, potential investors, uh, your export partners here, see what we've got, talk to them about the event, and then see if you can get a bigger one uh, around the same time. I think that's the way that we're really going to be able to uh, assist AFC uh, to build this event, particularly in this state. Um, anybody have any other view before I pray to the audience? Because uh, I think what everybody's outlined is there's a lot of work being done and a lot of thought being put into how we can um, make sure we get a lasting legacy in the tourism market in particular uh, from what people have said and I'm quite sure there's a lot of questions on it. But Jeff, the only thing I'd say is that I think there's a lot of events we can learn from. There's been big events over the last 10 years so we don't have to make either the same mistakes or learn the same lessons again and again and again. And uh, whether it's uh, and, and global events as well, I mean as far back as the Olympics but even more recently what happened with Rugby World Cup in New Zealand, what worked and what didn't work in a relatively small market. That's not an Asian, that doesn't attract Asian, uh, uh, Asian teams or Asian supporters in the same way as we're talking about here. But there will be other events that have. And so what, what worked and what didn't work, what did we learn, what didn't we learn, how did business hook into it effectively? And uh, just as an insight on that, uh, on each of the ships that we had moored in Auckland Harbour, there were groups on average three to five hundred people who were part of conferences that were at the same time. So, you know, every anaesthetist in uh, Europe seemed to have been in Auckland. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there, were, there was some sort of audiology conference and people who make hearing aids and stuff were all there. And there was some other group. And in fact, there was also a big fashion group to a point that was made earlier. They're not they weren't all just people who wanted to go to the game. There were people who had another reason to come and then in fact went to the games as well. So New Zealand used it as a way of promoting domestic industry that they thought they were best in the world at and got people to come to that and then organised to take them to the game so that, or take them to a game. So there were ways of channelling people because to do that you also increase your supporter base. You get people to the games that maybe wouldn't have come for a game but who came for something else and loved going to the game. So you start to... Uh, in fact, use that as a mechanism to grow your own base as well. 
I think it's also uh, TTF has, has now put together this this sports tourism panel with all the ma uh, major sports uh, involved in that, and how can we leverage off in terms of tourism potential? What do we need specifically to do? And that started off about six months ago. Kate Lundy, as the Minister for Tourism, is uh, federal minister, is is actively involved in that. So I think that's a way of fitting in what things do we need to change and push for and get the support of her colleagues to assist. Look, just on, uh, I think Anne mentioned earlier, one of the, before I just um, flip to the um, audience, um, is social media. Mm. And I think the opportunity, because of the growth in social media in uh, Asia, <coughs> that opportunity for Australia during these, this will be tremendous. Mm. Um, Tourism Australia started a Facebook site when they had the Catholic uh, youth uh, games in Australia back quite a few years ago and 300,000 signed up at the time so really they could talk to each other. We've grown that so much that we have now 3.6 million Facebook fans and it's the largest of any tourism site in the world and the opportunity to leverage that plus all the other work that we're doing in the social media is really beyond our expectations. We just believe that will be the real take-off point and a lot of work is being done to update various uh, sites and things and make sure that we really are uh, totally uh, aware and totally ready by the start really of next year for that to happen. And 80% of people before they travel go online first. Yeah. And that do their eighty percent do their research before they travel online. So uh, while you know lots of us in travel are still producing brochures, quite frankly, most of those are for travel agents, not for consumers. The consumers are online; they're looking for images of destination, and that's a very cheap way, a very low cost way of getting a message out to the world. Uh, and it's also the way to the point that was made earlier about using players, using former players using kids, using game, you know, people at the level below, even your most elite level, what does it look and feel like? Because you can bring it to life online in a very, very low cost way. And um, Australia, Tourism Australia has the biggest single tourism website in the world, but individual businesses within tourism as well. Uh, the combination of the brands that I look after under the Carnival umbrella, we've got more than a million Facebook followers as well. Yeah. And our demographic, some of our brand demographics are young, but a lot of our brand demographics are not young, and those people are on Facebook as well. Yeah. So do not assume that those that that media is for the under 30s or under 40s or however you describe young these days. Uh, it's actually a, it's it's ubiquitous, and in markets like in Asian markets in particular, and Asia is not a market in the, the many parts of Asia that make up a market. Uh, that uh, the, the penetration rate for that that form of search is even higher than it is here. So I think there's a it, social media presents probably for the 2015 game a potential game-changing way of reaching a target market that's so much bigger that you could reach any other way in the past. And I think you know it would be great if that was one of the legacies. Even you know how do you create that sense as, as an objective that this is the game where we got to you know, 10 million people online, 100 million people, whatever you want it to be. We, d we set out to get to them online, and out of that, X came, but the rest of them followed us. So I think there's a, you know, there's an amazing just gift that's there with technology. 
that allows us to do it cost effectively. Well, I think it's very true. I mean, uh, we're already uh, working on social media campaigns for this mm. event, uh, regardless of what the final draw is or who's there. Uh, and uh, we saw this very effectively. You know, we run an event called Vivid, uh, which I'm sure many of you are aware of now. Uh, just on that event alone, we use social media in China uh, on Weibo to promote the event. We work with a couple of wholesalers. We went out there, you know, very fast, very quick. Uh, we wanted to um, uh, make a, uh, a very concerted effort, but in a short space of time, we got 4,000 Chinese booked like that, bang, to come. All right, now that's through social media. And these weren't, as you rightly pointed out, they were not teenagers, they weren't in their 20s. Uh, they were either middle-aged or slightly older people but they're online because they're communicating with their grand, you know, their grandchild, or with their families, or with their kids who are studying here in Sydney. Uh, we have the, the largest number of Chinese students here, so that's just one example uh, of being able to use uh, uh, of us being able to use social media effectively for a commercial outcome. Uh, and I think, you know, to uh, I agree with Anne that um, that's really uh, where we can go. And uh, uh, I think. Uh, uh, it's a very exciting prospect for us because that wasn't around when the Olympics uh, were here, where it, we were so much more evolved a decade later uh, and it's so much more targeted. Even our own websites at Destination New South Wales, it's bigger than any other state uh, tourist office. Uh, we're in the same echelon now as TripAdvisor and Lonely Planet. We have that many people going online looking for information. So I think it's very exciting. I just went to, two weeks ago, went to a memorial service for a 94-year-old um, and uh, her granddaughter stood up and said, uh, the main way I communicated with my grandmother when I was overseas was by Facebook. That's mm. terrific. She was on that. Right. Mm. And uh, I just throw to the audience for questions. We've talked you out. <laughs> okay. Yep. Sorry. Hi, uh, Mark Falberg, uh, CRO of the Eddie Cup Organising Committee. Um, the, I just wanted to pick up some, on some comments that were made earlier about personality, um, which Jan made, um, and uh, I think also to pick up on the experience of other major events. Um, Sandra mentioned uh, the Germany World Cup. Um, very early on, I guess the German government uh, identified that a, a legacy that they wanted to, to drive out of the hosting of the World Cup was to affect a, a shift in the perception of the German nation. Um, and there was a lot of research done to, to confirm um, what that perception was internationally, and that was alongside the efficiency and the reliability, uh, uh, a, a perception of uh, you know, this passion and you know, coldness and you know, lack of Not much welcoming fun. to, 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 to foreigners. Um, and when the government decided very upon mm -hmm. this, they wanted to change that perception. Um, slogan of the World Cup became a time to make friends. Uh, the government invested heavily in an international PR campaign, all entitled, you know, right mm -hmm. red carpet and at France Beckenbauer saying a red carpet along with you know ordinary Germans, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bus drivers, taxi drivers, chefs and so forth. I think um, arguably more importantly, the, the German government backed that up with, with action and um, trained up hundred thousand uh, service sector employees, those that are obviously very important to the tourism industry, to be able to display and deliver a type of service that was in fact welcoming and, and friendly and all the rest of it. And all the research at the end of the event confirmed that that, that a shift in perception had 
occur. Um, so I guess the question that I have is, um, you know, what, how is Australia perceived, how, how are we perceived throughout Asia? Um, how do we want that perception change from being two? And how can we back that up with, with action in the, in the two short years that we have before the Asian Cup is our tools? Well, just on that, we have very, very in-depth research uh, at Tourism Australia on what people think of Australia, what they think of Australians. It is obviously uh, slanted towards uh, tourism, but um, that's what we're really talking about. And look, generalising is quite good. Um, um, and one of the really good things about it is, and I'll just say talk about food and wine, before people come here, the perception is we've got pretty ordinary food and wine. Uh, once they come, that changes just dramatically. Uh, they are really surprised about it. And, uh, and I was in India recently, and I think MasterChef is one of the most popular programs there, the Australian MasterChef. And people were literally talking to the group I was with, saying, God, you know, I did, we didn't know it was so multicultural because you know, half the chefs in Australia don't look Anglo, they're not. <laughs> And uh, it, it just really is, uh, so I think the perception at the moment is pretty good, but I'd also say, and I can't, I'm not sure where Germany came from at the time you're talking about, but gee, there's been a lot of work done by Tourism Australia, by the state and territory tourism operation, and indeed a lot of private businesses to generally improve the view of Australia in Asia and it's a continuing thing and my own view it's almost a little bit late to say well look we've got to really uh, come out here very big and and start saying we, we're great guys there's a real program going on that's happening about that at the moment but the perception is pretty good overall it really is and if I could add to that I think all of us are uh, operating tourism businesses are obviously marketing into Asia. So it's in our collective uh, interest and our individual interest to make sure that people see this as a place they want to come. So you, the platform is already quite, is already strong and the perception is strong. There's more we could do because uh, it takes a while to shift all the gearing of perception away from the way we used to market to the US and the UK, for example, which was very beach oriented. And, uh, and to shift more, and we're seeing it more and more, to, into more sophistication around the sort of people we are, the sort of places we are, and the sort of cities we have, which is a much stronger draw card now for the newer markets that we're going into. So it, you're not starting from the German position, which is everyone thinks we're boring, what do we do? Uh, the, the, I think the challenge is how do you create the, build on the tourism personality that's been built, and build another personality that's your personality, in a sense, you know, what's the football personality that goes with that? How do you create the imagery of um, the participation? How do you create the imagery of multiculturalism that goes with the game? How do you use the people who are of your game and speak, who live it and breathe it, whether they're current or ex-players, whether they're men or women, whether they're younger or older, and turn them into the spokespeople for your place? And I'll give you an example that's more a, a sort of brand campaign rather than a, a, a government campaign. If you look at uh, the lead into Olympics and actually into the last Soccer World Cup, um, Visa, uh, who were a sponsor, and I'm not sure whether they're sponsoring this or not, but there was a deliberate campaign to build it around people, individuals, and some of them were the people in country who wanted to go, you know, who were aspiring, who wanted to be 
I want to be a soccer player, I want to go. Uh, and also some of the great um, participants in whether it was the Olympics or the World Cup soccer. It, and every country had its own version of that. So, you know, there were kids in Africa kicking rolled up rag soccer balls before the World Cup in South Africa. There were um, kids in Brazil doing the same thing. So they turned the personality of the participation into something that made people feel like they connected to it. And I, I think good place and sport, you know, sort of category marketing, if you like, now requires you to give it personality and heart. If you do it as though it's, you know, we'll just build on the imagery of Australia generically, we'll just build on the imagery of us being sporty, you won't get there. And that's why I think social media has become so powerful, because it's personal. You talk to people one-to-one, -one and, uh, and you do it relatively cheaply, and you can create a connection one-on-one. -on -one. So I've, I think there's, it's just a different way of thinking about the way you might have traditionally marketed a big international sporting event. Uh, that it is changing the dynamic uh, of how you get out to people. I think it's yeah. also, uh, you know, in terms of we've just had the white paper on the Asian century. Yeah. Here's our opportunity to show that all the lessons that have been outlined there. It's not as if we've suddenly discovered Asia, but it is a real chance. We've got a whole lot of Asian participants in this. We expect a lot of the cohort are coming down here to be from Asia. So why don't we have this as the the first off the off the rank uh, to see how well we can do it, and are we um, Asia savvy or not, or are we still in the old European mode of thinking? Because it does require a paradigm shift uh, in our approach, and um, I'm not quite sure that we've got it. But I think the the amount of money that you guys have allocated, particularly uh, in terms of the Asian fund. Is going to be pretty significant. Is it 45 million? Is that yes. specific, addition, specific yes. that? Um, I also think, Mark, that one of the, the things we've got to keep in mind uh, is what are we giving back? We've talked about what we can get from Asia. What are we giving back? Because if we just take, 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 and there's no give, uh, you know, that's not going to work either. And I'll give you some examples. Uh, we opened, Destination New South Wales opened our own office in India, uh, and we hired our own staff. We don't have rep companies, we've got our own staff, we're making a commitment. Our minister will be making a big announcement next Friday about um, our new China strategy. Uh, we are engaging with North Asia in a, a whole, we've got some additional announcements we'll be making there. Uh, it's also about what business delegations are going up there now, uh, what people, what Australian groups are, are um, you know, how we engage with Asia, uh, what investments we are making in Asia, because that that's going to it's a two-way street. So you know, uh, I would also why I would love all the business here uh, in Sydney and in New South Wales. I think in order to get that and in order to to grow the pie, uh, we've got to show uh, our uh, counterparts in Asia what we're doing. And I think that's um, uh, and I you know applaud the work of your organisation in in doing in that outreach program because I think uh, that's the way that we're going to be successful together. I think just to follow on to, I'm on the Australian uh, Awards um, Board, it's the Federal Government Board, and lots of scholarships have been given and now the government's also announced that we're going to be sending a lot of Australians over to Asia. But it's probably time that we widen it out in terms of sporting uh, scholarships. 
for some of these key young people and the fact that we've got uh, from the Australian Open we've got ball boys going to some of the Chinese tournaments and some of the young players being brought down to work as ball boys on the, on the Australian championships I think we need to see more of that um, you know we had the old Colombo plan which worked very well uh, but um, you know one of the, the I just kind of remember it very clearly because a guy who was down here on the Colombo plan from Thailand ended up being uh, the Olympic Committee rep from Thailand who acted when we're doing the bid as our most effective lobbyist within an intelligence source and uh, was down here doing PhD from Thailand in the old Colombo plan but I just think we need to broaden it out sporting scholarships Australia relate to and understand our biggest assets are what everybody knows them to be. Obviously we have to improve on some issues, but research that we've done is Australia, France and the United States are the most popular long-haul destinations of places people want to go to from China. And in a recent trip to China, we were talking to a group of people and one of the most influential said, he said, look, people go to France for luxury, they go to America for celebrity culture and they go to Australia for the environment and the fact that it's a very close western country and they like people come importantly but the environment is still despite you know I talked to James Pack and I have some talks about what's so important the casino or the environment and uh, you know I said well my casino out in the air would be terrific or you know <laughs> open air casino maybe we, we, we get everybody Spirits. happy but at the end of the day the, the, the beauty of the country, the clean air, the water and that, and the beaches are very, very attractive to the people who are close to us. Can I follow on there by the story that James Pack told at the launch of, uh, of the Tourism Summit in Canberra? He gave the figures yeah. for visitors to the Grand Canyon were four million a year and visitors to Las Vegas was 38 million a year. I just put it in perspective. <laughs> oh well, you know, just give James a plug, uh, the, the biggest tourist destination in Australia is Crown Casino. Uh, but that's not, they're not going for the casino necessarily, they're going for all the restaurants and the other entertainment bays that are there. And I think what we're getting and what we're getting to is this uh, um, really very good and it's getting much better infrastructure in the way of decent hotels and uh, uh, good service everything can be improved but with all these other natural advantages and uh, we've just got to make sure that both one is husband and looked after the other one is built up as much as we can by the way just to uh, give plaudits to destination new south wales in terms of their <laughs> landing I do sometimes uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of the landing of, of uh, the um, state of origin uh, it is uh, the the number one um, uh, you know uh, revenue source for tourism in the country in terms of hotels and love it. Do you want to give some figures on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, we're, um, uh, we're delighted. Uh, this was the one to win. And um, I particularly uh, enjoy beating the boys at their own game. Uh, and uh, I'd like to acknowledge my chairman, John Condy, uh, who's here, who <laughs> was um, an uh, instrumental part of uh, uh, saying, you go for it. So, um, uh, and we did, and we've been very successful. And I think 
that again you look at sports and what they can deliver and it's not just the game it's all of we didn't win uh, because we had the biggest checkbook we didn't but what we did was we took a holistic approach to origin over that period and how we could build the game and what else we could do and that's the exact same approach that I know the local organizing committee um, for um, uh, for the Asia Cup uh, are taking and I uh, you know uh, applaud Michael and the team and around the work uh, that you're doing because uh, I, um, I think it's unique because you know you're really thinking outside the square and you are already focused on those legacies you know by evidence by this event today so it's very exciting any other questions Thanks guys, very enjoyable morning and indeed this panel, Craig Foster from SBS. Um, just to pick up on one of the comments, firstly Sandra, great job with Sydney FC, delighted to see that you really made that connection between what football can do. So uh, I think you've been really a valuable uh, participant in the panel and, and the day. And just one of the comments that Anne was making about the personality of Australia. And Jeff was saying we have to leverage our natural advantages. I had a discussion with Michael some months ago where we talked about the players. And if we look at the forthcoming Asian Cup and from a tourism perspective and how do we seduce or entice people to come, what's interesting to me is that the last one in Qatar, no one in Australia or indeed broadly in Asia knew any of the Qatari players. You know, they're mostly based at home uh, and so that they don't have sort of global name if you like. Uh, previous to that was in uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, Indonesia. Uh, which are, if you like, second or third tier also Asian football nations. A wonderful tournament. One, one of the advantages we have now is that we have Lucas Neal, who's a former Blackburn uh, captain, was a former captain of West Ham, and then now, of course, is playing in the UAE. Now, that's, that's the first time in our history when the captain of Australian Socceroos mm -hmm. firstly has a huge name and a global name because of the importance and the uh, promotion, popularity, in particular of the EPL. But he actually plays there because the commercial value and the, and the resources of those competitions have come up from 20 years ago in our day, if you like. So, of course, having Kuehl now on the periphery of the team still, but an immense Champions League winner, Liverpool, one of the most popular clubs in the world. Mm -hmm. Mark Schwartz is still goalkeeper for the doing a wonderful job. You will all know, of course, and Michael is very aware that the EPL is the most popular football competition around the world, and in fact in Asia is extraordinarily popular. Uh, a manifold more popular than their local competitions. So the, the brand name of our particular players, if not even the Socceroos, is, is incredibly uh, valuable. So my question to you is, have these discussions been occurring? If so, how? And are you able to leverage the popularity of that competition and therefore our players across the region? And just before I pass to you, one of the discussions we had was around perhaps a, uh, a Lucas Neal talking to those countries in their language. Harry Kuehl talking to one of the, you know, understand that there may be uh, up to eight countries uh, speaking uh, common language of, of Arabic, that we have some of our particular for instance, speaking to them about the personality of this country, about what we have to offer, about why they should come, but in their language and really trying to make a connection that I think we've never had the opportunity to do before. Sounds like a great SBS initiative. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting what you say, Craig, because while specifically I'm, I'm not aware of, uh, of the details of the discussions, but Michael and um, 
Andrew McAvoy is the Chief Executive of Tourism Australia, are already in pretty deep discussions about working together on how this can be done and even putting a formal group together which would involve uh, a lot of other participants so that they're working in a very, very deliberate way to achieve many of the things. And I would have thought what you just said about Lucas Neal and that would be things they would be thinking of, right, Michael? And there's no doubt in the world about that. Do you want to? Yes, uh, uh, Craig's very correct in one of the most smartest things I've ever I took on this role was to go and talk to Craig, who not only played the game, but understands the game. Um, what is important for us, and, and I said when I spoke earlier, this needs to be more than a football tournament. Um, this is a unique opportunity to unite a whole lot of people. And it's not that easy because we can do a lot of talking about it and do nothing, we can actually endeavour to do things. And uh, coming from sporting cricket, where we I initiated the Sri Lankan team in F, refused to stay in hotels. They, they stayed with Sri Lankan families when they played in um, the, the power of the player is, is everything about any sport. Uh, people come to watch players play, but they come to watch administrators and minister. Um, I've already got communications to the Australian team and let them know about the event and had good feedback from some of the key players that they're interested, they're here in Marshall <coughs> and are looking forward to us taking on those ambassadors similar to what um, Tourism Australia has about being 60 or 70 yes. uh, ambassadors yeah. across the world, Richard Branson, none of them pay, but all talk about really positive experiences. Of, is Richard, is Richard, Richard Branson one, is he? Yeah, he's one. That's how much I know. The other opportunity, which uh, you might want to think about as well, is how do you leverage? So to give you an example, I've got 100,000 people on ships every day, and I've got closed-circuit television. Uh, hotels have got closed-circuit television where they've got content on. All of us have got mediums to get out to travellers. Uh, and next year I'll have 10 ships in Asia for the whole summer. So the, those numbers are big and you get to big groups of people. And if you've got content, and Andrew and I have been talking about this, putting the, so we're going to put all the TA content onto the ships. Because I can get that to people. It costs me nothing to do it as long as it's in the right format. And I've got an absolutely captive audience. And I've got a captive audience not just in Australia but also in Asia. So there's a, a and in fact all over the world, there's an opportunity to take content and leverage. And I think often organisations and codes, you know, you hang on to your stuff and you might talk to TA but you won't talk to anybody else. So I'd also encourage you to think about all the outlets that are available. Online is clearly one, which is huge. But, you know, hotels, ships, whoever it is, we've all got television that sits in people's rooms and you, when you're lying in bed thinking about what you might eat for dinner, you might actually turn it on and go, oh wow, the, you know, I didn't realise the Asian Cup was, oh, look, I love that, yeah, blah, blah. You know, there's a, there's a whole opportunity to just create more audience by leveraging stuff that will cost you nothing if you've got the content. So I think leverage should be part of your strategy as well. Perhaps uh, we bring out Sai to sing for the Koreans. Uh, 
the start of their match is Martin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just closing on this, I'll get close, uh, you know, my background is more rugby league, rugby union. Gang and, and, and But I, I don't think everybody in Australia really realises that uh, the value of this event is immense because of how things are working towards Australia at the moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, for tourism, as I said, the, the market's totally changed and the interest in football in the part of the world that we really have to encourage to come to Australia is immense. And uh, one of the things I think we've got to ensure that everybody else in Australia who has a, an interest in this, and it should be just about everybody, realises just how important this is. I mean, yeah, look, I know we'll get resistance from the other codes. I mean, uh, I think Frank would remember uh, you know, it wasn't all sort of uh, harmony when we were trying to get the World Cup, I can assure you. There was a lot of cooperation, but there was also not everything was harmonious. But at the end of the day, this is such an opportunity for Australia. Uh, and I think it's a much bigger opportunity for the things we need to do than a lot of people realise. I think that all codes want sorry, Chris, all codes want want big events as well, yeah. and all do it in their own way. And there's so rugby union is running the, the Lions tour, and there's a whole you know set of activity about that. It, we should actually be seeing this as a an ad as a plus plus as an and and rather than competing with each other because we've got huge appetite for sport here and we have got really good tourism infrastructure to support it and it's good for both of us. So yeah. I think the the idea of you know that somehow we're constantly sniping at each other probably distracts a lot of energy from the where we should be putting the energy which I think is a long game. Well what sure. we should be realising there's not a lot of rugby league players or fans in Asia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I think we should park that one to the no, side and let them get on with what they're doing and yeah. say well look now rugby but not that yeah. many either. <laughs> but I think it's also uh, the fact uh, if I can so make some supportive comments about the recent government, the federal government initiative. Oh, very Unusually, good. yes. Um, is uh, the, the Security Council win? I yep. mean, you know, they're just a huge number of votes, so we must be doing something right in the world. Oh, I think we are. Um, okay, yeah, I've got to, we're told to wind up. Uh, look, thank you very, very much. Uh, certainly, I feel it's an exciting time and uh, as I said, just a great opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.